Hey everyone, welcome back to State of the Industry, the world's best blockchain podcast. Uh, we're here in sunny California, uh, in Silicon Valley, the heart of all of this cool stuff happening in the industry. And we have a special guest that we're going to introduce in a second. Again, I'm Chris Gaines, co-founder of Den. I'm here with my two resident blockchain experts, Svet Sadov. Hi everybody. Hello. And today we're focusing on blockchain in the enterprise space. This is a huge topic. Um, it's where we see a lot of the focus of the industry shifting over into, and I'm really excited to dive like a lot deeper into this, especially as the industry continues to grow. Uh, so first, I'd like to introduce our special guest of the day, Koshik Gavini. Uh, he's actually been working closely with the DEN. He's an instructor, and he's also uh, doing a lot of stuff on our blockchain enterprise uh, space. So I wanted to quickly, uh, Kosha, just introduce yourself, let us know a little bit about your background in this space, and then we'll hop into the topics. Yeah, hi, um, I'm Kosha Gavini. Um, I've been working on enterprise blockchain, specifically Hyperledger Foundation products, um, for the last more than one to two years. So it's quite extensive experience in the growing sector um and i've been like noticing the trend where enterprise is going from initiation to now starting to take foundation and implementation cool yeah well um i know you definitely have a lot of experience working with different companies yeah. who have essentially been pioneers in yeah. the space so, so a little bit later we'll hear yeah. a little bit more about that but uh Right now, along with everyone else, let's hop into some of the interesting stuff that has been happening in the space uh, in the past week. Um, starting out with uh, our favorite huge Tony Stark billionaire uh, persona in Silicon Valley, uh, Elon Musk, uh, connecting with you know one of the similar analogs in the blockchain space, Vitalik. Um, so a couple days ago, Elon Musk uh, sparked a crazy storm, a Twitter storm. Oh, we've all seen those. We've all been there. Um, <laughs> it's what he does. Yeah, it's what he loves to do. <laughs> um, basically, he uh, like brought e or Vitalik into this conversation about Ethereum um, and just DLT in general and what the future of it was going to look like. Um, so Vitalik actually was responding, was engaging with him, and he kind of uh, came up with a few different priorities that came out of this uh, discussion um, as far as the strategic goals of DLT from Vitalik's uh, perspective, Ethereum, uh, including uh, creating a global financial system, focusing on identity and reputation, um, creating registries, uh, innovating on new forms of organizational structure, which I think is an interesting one, um, micropayments, privacy, spam prevention, which is huge. Um, as well as rewarding content publishers, uh, which is another cool one that I think we see a lot of people looking into and trying to find cool ways of uh, making that idea happen. Um, automated market designs, and finally, a decentralized internet. So uh, did any of you guys like follow that Twitter exchange closely, or what did you guys think about that? Yeah, I mean, I saw it. Like uh, it, At first, it was just uh, Elon just posted Ethereum. That was it. I mean, just <laughs> one word post. The best way to start One tweet. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just says that, and then it just snowballs from there, you know? And uh, it's interesting, you know? At the same time, I think for, like, me, Spet, and people have been in, and you guys have been in the space for a long time. I don't think anything that, like, Vitalik said was, like, groundbreaking new stuff, but... You know, when Elon says something, it gets a lot of eyes. So for people that, you know, are new to the space, have no idea what's going on, it's good to see, one, that Vitalik 
is talking about stuff, and, and the two of them, you know, are are, are getting more eyes on the, on the topic overall, and it's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, when I was reading through Vitalik tweets, which were usually long, because Vitalik actually preferred <laughs> to to kind of also use this uh, uh, Musk style, publishing on like a tweeting only a couple of words of sentences. Now he actually published like a whole article in a tweet. And uh, what I noticed, maybe I'm wrong, but um, he kind of prioritized his uh, uh, future strategic, as you said, uh, the development perspective for obviously Ethereum, but that includes DLT yeah. or all other uh, decentralized ledger technology input at the top. Some, something very, from my point of view, idealistic. I'm not saying it's wrong to pursue any idealistic type of objectives in our movement. Uh, but obviously, as I think, uh, many uh, founders, specifically founders from the period prior to 2014, uh, the by, by their nature, they come to blockchain not only to make money, but also to make a social or even political statement. That has always been a, a, a strong thing that I've noticed in the space is that um, as opposed to other industries or focal points, people, especially people making you know noise in the, the blockchain and crypto space, they always seem to have some form of a, a philosophy behind it. And that's actually one of the things that I love about being in the space. And on that topic, I'm actually curious what you think about um, this kind of development, Koshik. Um, so as I said, I'm coming from the enterprise blockchain and we, we tend to be anti-crypto because it's too volatile for enterprise big systems. Um, but I do see where when I talk to people who are not enterprise blockchain, like so what, there's a passion for changing the status quo for the better using decentralization and crypto and stuff like that. So that has a huge aspect to the other side developers for um, open blockchain. Now, I, I know we're going to dive deeper into this uh, a bit later, but um, do you see, I mean, obviously in this Twitter exchange, we have Elon, who I think actually embodies a lot of philosophical, uh, you know, driving force behind what he does, even though he's not specifically in the blockchain space. Um, do you see any of that in, uh, in your experience and with the people that you've been working with in the, the Hyperledger space in this case? Yeah, so um, one of the companies that are actively using Hyperledger is Kiva. I don't know if you guys know, it's, a, it's like a huge nonprofit. Um, they're using Hyperledger, um, I don't know which framework um, specifically, um, when I talk to them, I think it's Fabric, but they may change. But anyway, yeah. um, they're using like more closed hyperledger framework to solve African countries with their exchange of monetary values. So instead of having an open blockchain, they're closing it down and putting government regulations on it. So you may think about decentralization is traditional form of blockchain where there's no one central authority, but it's kind of like a hybrid. They're like, let's keep the traditional rules in place, but let's also add new rules atop, on top of it, not like complete overrun where you see in the other side of the blockchain community. Yeah, that's that's cool. And I think I can kind of uh, agree with that uh, that perception. Yes. Yeah. I've never, with the, the people that we've worked with in the enterprise space, on the, the Hyperledger side especially, 
I've never gotten the feeling that all they cared about was just, you know, upgrading the existing infrastructure. Yeah. I feel like the the ideals of, you know, initially what, you know, created Ethereum, created Bitcoin, mm-hmm. while they not, might not be, you know, translated exactly, I feel like they're still there in some, uh, in yeah. some sense. And I think that's very important for uh, the future growth of the entire uh, sector, of all of the yeah. technology. Um, yeah. I probably got a question for everybody because one of the things which uh, actually come to mind after reading this is that maybe if uh, so many founders and developers, I mean key developers, key founders has a same type of mentality, wouldn't it be um, possible that that stops us to look at the blockchain primarily as a, uh, from point of view of practical applications? Because we are now so concentrated on the beautiful technology, on making on making it possible for uh, all across the, uh, people all across the world to access it, that sometimes we forget that something like spam prevention or some some mediocre task may be more important in order to be able to attract people uh, to actually let people using more that blockchain uh, average users, right? Because why they come to us only because of that, right? So what do you think? It may, might be one of the reasons why we don't still have like brilliant applications where millions of users every day come to blockchain and use it, even, you know? Um, yeah, that's that's a really great topic. Um, one of the problems I'm seeing on the POC applications I'm working with, like when I work with huge enterprises, is um, the technology is getting there, but to go 100% in, Put the underneath your whole technology stack. It's very risky right now, and the problem is education, right? Um, we talk about when blockchain came out. You can kind of correlate it to the cloud or something when first the cloud came out. The development of the cloud. Yeah, yes. like now you have cloud services, microservices on the cloud versus monolith infrastructure. Um, everyone, the developer knows what those are right now. But if you look 10 years ago when the cloud was initially taking off. It was kind of like a buzzword. People knew the high level, they don't know the, the low level stuff. So actually adapting it to practical use cases, it's maybe beautifully put in, technology may be there, it makes it work 100%, but trust and being really educated to actually you know, deliver and uh, deploy it is gonna be extensive process. And I like the, the parallel of uh, the development of the cloud because yeah. I remember when I first heard about the cloud back in high school, It was this, again, I wasn't very focused on development at that time, but still, like, when I heard about it, it it's like this fantastical idea of, like, cloud computing. Like, it was was very hard to, like, formulate an actual idea of what that meant. (laughs) Or try to explain it to somebody older than you. you Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But but nowadays, it's been such a huge part of... development in general of the development of the internet yeah. and all these different companies that um, if you don't understand you know basic idea behind the cloud then yeah. uh, you're not being very effective at whatever you're doing yeah um, so I mean you think about that and you're like when, when were people first talking about trying to introduce the idea of the cloud like mid-2000s or a little earlier well I think it was a lot earlier because yeah. we have actually two waves well, of the cloud I mean, I mean like the, the major push the main yeah, wave but what do you mean by major because first it was like a cloud data that was the first push and the second was a cloud application that's what the second major push but I guess the because yes yeah. because with cloud data it was maybe mid 19th even because mm-hmm. people started to see that there is not enough space in their own computers yeah. to keep all their <laughs> movies and then we have of course a proliferation 
applications, yeah. uh, all of the, these uh, um, cloud storage services, which basically second half of the 90s. Mm. And then in the first half of the 2000s, it, that what happened. Yeah. Then people start to think, why do I need to pay Microsoft that, I don't know, $100 <laughs> per month just for one version of their, you know, uh, Microsoft project or something. So, and here's the day, kind of like a software as a service and yeah. then spring from that. To add on to that, um, so if you noticed the cloud development, actually like the services, like we're talking, we're going to talk a little bit more about um, yeah. the boss services and stuff, which are essentially cloud services. Um, you're taking adoption is coming up right now, actual implementation. As Sweat said, you know, 1990s were when cloud research was being done, right? So if you look at 1990s to 2019, 2020, you know, that's where the money's like raking Fire in right now. Yeah. So the blockchain is going to be here to stay and it's going to be really interesting. Right now it's in the hype phase, right? Yeah. It's really buzzword right now. Um, you're going to need people educated beyond the buzzword, more technical rigor, um, and actually analyzing the business use cases that are going to be helpful, right? And once you go through that loop, there's going to be a little bit more adoption, pre-existing infrastructure and stuff. And then you're going to see the adoption, more money breaking in right now. I think the crypto introduced the role to blockchain, but crypto does not equal blockchain. Right? Yeah. I think everyone agrees to that. Yep. Can I ask a question? It's a little bit unrelated, but uh, maybe related because uh, many people expect that uh, after this first wave of the initial adoption mm -hmm. as uh, like us pioneering this one, cryptocurrencies, will, uh, is there some chance that uh, uh, enterprise blockchain yeah. Yeah. will join the movement somewhere up to the road, somewhere down the road when they just realize that the issuing their coins on their own platform doesn't make big sense, why don't they make these coins publicly available? So is it possible? Yes. Um, let me just add on to that, right? So when we, maybe when we're saying, when I'm saying enterprise blockchain, I'm primarily mean three attributes, right? Um, the first attribute, it has to be secure, right? Um, secure amusing, it's closed or something. Number two is it has to adapt with the pre-existing um, tech stack, hmm. right? So I'm gonna talk a little bit more digital transformation, why that's important. And the third thing is it has to be success story. It has to be um, low, low downtime, right? That's what I mean. You can't have any bugs in it. And that's why adopt the new te putting new technologies into a big application is extremely risky. Yeah. You have to go through a hundred thousand trials before you do go inside it. Um, to add to Swiss point, you know, can they go inside and you know join the movement of open blockchain? Yeah, I think that's that has to be the direction because um, enterprises, whether you like, let's just take a supply chain um, company um, like a company. Let's go with Walmart, right? Walmart is extensively in blockchain right now. And the reason they're doing that, if you think about it, is because the consumers want it. Um, so the demand for the consumers, they're going to do it. So, so wait, when you say that there's demand from the consumers, where is Walmart seeing demand directly from consumers for uh, yeah. blockchain technology? Yeah, so um, so that's a great talk. That's a great concept or question. Um, so we had a whole rush about quality of food. Right. So when you're saying organic, when you're saying um, if it's organic, the is it actually organic? Right. There's all this trust, trust, trust issues. Yeah. Right. 
So I think it was Warren Buffett who said it. I may be quoting wrong, but he said, said something in business. It takes 30 years to gain a customer's trust. It takes 30 seconds to, to lose, lose it all, yeah, right? Yeah, just, yeah, so in any traditional business, or it doesn't have to be traditional or something, gaining the customer's trust is extremely important. Yeah. And if you think about how I look at blockchain, it's basically a trust mechanism, right? A digital trust mechanism. Um, and how you go about solving the trust is the core technical concept of blockchain. And um, when I look at it from enterprise, do I need everybody looking at my business transactions or do I need only certain people I want in? I don't want my competitors seeing the whole supply chain route. Yeah. Um, that's it's coming into. Let me just answer to this point one more time. <laughs> I don't think I answered directly. I do think it's going to come in. Um, I think we talked about there's going to be some car companies or some... There's a huge car uh, car company consortium that's cons- formed already. Yeah, I, and they're using Ethereum base, I, I believe, or something. I think so. Yeah. I think so, yeah. I think the reason they might do is they might, like, tokenize sales of cars or something. Like, that's a huge thing. Like, I see. So the first wave yeah. is issuing some coins, which may be Ethereum-based or another current EOS-based, and yeah. then through that mechanism, customers will receive that initial access to the cryptocurrencies, and then through trading that particular company cryptocurrency, they can get into the other platforms and then exchange tokens to other tokens. And that's how big corporations can help to draw more users into the cryptocurrency spaces. Your point? Yeah, exactly. And um, side note on that is some, one of the projects I was working on before was um, on RedX, where I was a software engineer core um, engineering team there. And um, in the early stages, our goal was basically tokenized real estate, right? As most companies are doing it. And if you look at real estate or anything in finance, it's very traditional. Mm-hmm. So the most traditional of it. It's it's really conservative. <laughs> if you think about like changing, they don't want revolution. Like they just want to solve the business use cases, right? The problem is from a real estate agent or some developer is do you want to have easy transaction, right? What and that's extremely hard to do because it's a lot of regulations. To going, I like the house. You look from it, I, I want to buy it. It's going to take you a lot of process to actually convert that um, customer interest into um, sales, right? Yeah. So with tokenization and other coins are taking place, that's going to be really accessible to do. And all the real estate development companies, the huge ones, right? They have enterprise systems in play. So in the future, they do need some kind of, they need to join the revolution to solve their business use cases. So if the business demands joining the party, they will do it. Um, but out of interest, out of soul, humanity, I don't think I don't think any business in a capitalistic system is going to do it. For sure, and uh, I think it's important also to uh, think about the uh, intermediaries between, yeah. let's say, remember we talk about the Carrefour. Uh, that's a French uh, yeah. kind of my uh, well, Walmart. The French Walmart. <laughs> yeah, but they have like maybe ten times less uh, shops around the world. But anyway, what they do in the introduced blockchain because they want to have to make sure that their suppliers, small farms, yeah. actually delivering the food which they asked to deliver, yeah. and that serves as independent verifiers. So they put these marks on that packages of chickens, actually, mm-hmm. and then making and then kind of um, looking at the blockchain and seeing that that actually the package which was packed at that factory mm-hmm. delivered. Mm-hmm. So what I'm saying is that small business can be also very big 
um, initiator of using the blockchain. And small business obviously can be more agile than yeah. uh, an enterprise. Yes. Yeah. So obviously, I mean, I'm expecting to see a lot of innovation coming from small businesses yeah. who are growing. As it should be. Yeah. Because exactly. basically what we have with that system, it's <laughs> like vice versa. Big, bigger company, the more innovation yeah. we expect from it. Yeah. But it must be different. So different. Let's, uh, let's shift on to the next topic because I know we're going to dive yeah. a lot deeper into yeah. this a little later. Um, so uh, we've got some more some more statistics for everyone who's you know constantly coming back to, to keep up with how things are growing or developing. Um, so blockchain capital, a crypto fund, um, it's invested in a ton of companies. Um, it actually has Jimmy Song as one of the uh, partners. So they conducted an online survey, um, and essentially they were looking more into the, the progressive growth or adoption of uh, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, knowledge about blockchain. Um, so the main con- uh, conclusion of this new survey is that uh, 9% of the, the U.S. adult population owns Bitcoin right now. That alone is like, that sounds a little higher than the, what I've seen, what I've expected. Um, and leads to, uh, we can you know pull up or remember some of our previous numbers that we found, but it, that means that more than 30 million people in the U.S. have already purchased some Bitcoin. Um, and so 21% of people said that they would prefer Bitcoin to government bonds. Well, here's it, because that, first of all, I don't think it's a really represent the statistics because they made a survey based on uh, asking 2,000 people, or like a survey which involved 2,000 people only. That's not really the so statistical it's a small, base. Pretty small uh, sample size. Yes. The second thing is that 9% probably is an over-exaggeration. Because usually that service, that small service, include people you kind of in your close social circles. See what I'm saying? It's because mostly it people, shared around educated by... people. Yeah, they got that. You go, unless, of course, it's a very, very sophisticated survey, which I doubt it is. Yeah. <laughs> Response bias is a real thing. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, when I look at it, I use it as a basis to make some speculation. And one of the speculation which I'm mostly interested is, oh, not mostly, but interested is growth rate of uh, Bitcoin ownership because there are different things, right? Mm. We can use Bitcoin, we can buy Bitcoin, or we we just can't know about the Bitcoin because me is just asking, have you heard about the Bitcoin? Yes, great. Adoption rate growing up, but that's not true. So what what do you guys think about that? Uh, I think that, you know, over the coming years, over the next few years, that people will not know that they've bought Bitcoin. I think when Fidelity is doing everything that they're working with and rolling some of those things in, I, I think adoption is going to go up. Whether or not people talk about it, uh, I mean, I know we're going to keep talking about it, but uh, you know, nine percent does seem high to me too. But I think that as this gets rolled into more, you know, uh, traditional uh, finance. Instruments that uh, no, that's that's interesting. Go up. Do you so you you think that um, some of the the services, products, companies that people interact with will start utilizing Bitcoin or related cryptocurrencies? Yeah, maybe without them even knowing. I think that uh, I mean, gosh, with my four hundred one k, I don't know all the companies that are in that. You know, I I don't, and I do pick up the ones that I buy bonds ever 
would be in my 401k, and usually I try to reduce that amount and go with just stocks. But that's me, you know, uh, younger and I want to take the risk. You know, yeah, but, now's the time. <laughs> right, right, right. But I, I think, yeah, I, I think uh, Fidelity, and I, I, I like them. I've used them for years, and. Uh, I think it's a very good example because now everybody heard about the Ripple, right? So next maybe five years, nobody will know how your money actually transferred from bank to another. These crypto, using cryptocurrencies as an intermediary transferring like a tool or not. So you know, <laughs> because now we all everybody use Swift, right? Mm. But in the near future, everybody kind of already moving to another system. Taking in account that some countries started to be kind of like isolated a little bit from the rest of the world for political reasons or for other type of reasons, they have more and more incentives to find something else because their economy cannot be stopped, right? Because it's threatened the everything, stability, existence. So people are going to be looking for alternatives. And Bitcoin, that's the first thing they will go into. The one thing I thought was interesting about all of this, though, was that, Svet, you had, like, projected, like, when we would hit the tipping, with these numbers, like, when we would project, yeah, like, the tipping yeah. point of, tipping point being 20% of Americans own, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. you know, that would, that would be a huge tipping point for the market at that point. Yeah, um, and, I, and I have already people sending me commentaries and saying, oh, no, 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 tipping point is 10%. And there are a lot of discussion about that because it's a very spe- speculative because you don't, yeah, yeah, we yeah. don't really know. But there is kind of very interesting uh, like a pseudoscience behind it that first 3%, that's initial adapters, so like a geniuses who serve the early um, future of the technology and jump into this train. So the second part is an up to 13%. It's the first early adapter. So technically, we all here as an early adapter or initial adapter. And then there is like a medium kind of part of this curve, which is like a flat shape. Yes, it's like first adapters, right? So uh, that kind of dividing line is between 13%, 15%, and 20%. That is statistics, well, that's a, not statistics, but the science, which I'm basing my opinion. Yeah. So based on that and based, that, based on that number, which you started to kind of uh, citing, I concluded that the number of the Bitcoin owners in the United States grows with approximately 0.9, uh, sorry, with 9% excuse me, with a 9% a year. It's a 0.70 something a month. But that's just speculation, actually. Well, let me throw out a couple of interesting numbers that we can kind of compare to. So um, PayPal right now boasts about 235 million active users. MasterCard, um, 35.7 million American users and another 604 million active international users. Visa accounts for 336 million American users and 736 million users globally. So these are existing payment systems, existing financial systems. Those are the numbers that we actually have to compare to uh, whatever speculative Bitcoin uh, active users we can think of. 
So I guess the question that this makes me want to pose to you guys is... Just be careful not to confuse using Bitcoin and owning Bitcoin. Yeah, that's what I was right. talking about. Yeah, but, yeah. So these are active users. But Those that's a that visa. You usually... That, it's a different thing. Right? Yeah, I guess you, you always... It's transaction. Yeah. Like a medium of exchange, right? And store of value. What yeah, I was talking, it's a user right. store of value. That's a medium of exchange. So, But it's still user. Yeah. yeah. So so either way, like you're, you're interacting, you're engaging yeah. with the, the technology or the, the platform. Um, so... Yeah, so at 20... If you're looking, you know, between 10 and 20 percent... Uh, Active users of Bitcoin or holders is or what you're speculating on. Well, uh, right now, according to that statistic, uh, United States population, if you take it, uh, only adult adult population, which is about like a 320 million something, uh, from that number, nine percent, according to that survey, actually already own Bitcoin, which yeah, is like so amazingly high number, 29 million. Yeah. Exactly. So. But many people telling, like publishing other articles which says the total number of the Bitcoin holder in the whole world is no more than 35 million. Yeah. So, so it's right. kind of raises this very big discrepancy between yeah. two numbers. That's why I'm questioning mm -hmm. my own assumptions. That's what right. I'm doing. Right. I'm saying that I'm speculating, but I'm not sure myself about what basis I'm taking that. I'm doing that because I don't really have any other information. Yeah. Or I do have, but all of this information are not too much substantiated mm -hmm. from my point of view. So, the, so the, the point that I was getting at, actually, now that we thought about that, is what do we need to see in order to you know, essentially have the, the tipping point? Looking at these mm -hmm. numbers for what Visa has, and active users is going to be lower than total people that you know, engage with the system. So if we're looking at active users internationally at 604 million, um, just for Mastercard, um, what do we what are we going to see with uh, adoption That's of Bitcoin? Like one trillion dollar question, actually. So what do you think, guy? Like 200 million? Like this is all speculation, but I feel like it's good to compare, right? Uh, like Scott was saying earlier, you know, uh, conservative when you're projecting these things out, 20% is the conservative number. Like it, some people say 15, you know, 20% it seems to be a good tipping point. If we can get 20% of Americans using or holding Bitcoin, uh, I think we'll see some interesting things. Um, what's that come down to number-wise? 60 million. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and I'm using holding as a better indicator because actually when you hold something, you feel about that. Because if you use it for transaction, you don't care, right? But if you invest it in that yeah. particular asset, then you're really making a stake on the future. That's why I'm using prefer a corporate setting for US. If you yeah. want like saturation, you're looking for 60 million Americans to sign up for your service. That's that's the that, that's, that's just that's, it, that's yeah. just above the number that I think that uh, Americans that have subscriptions to Netflix right now currently, and it's the number that Disney's trying to build to in the next. And you know, that's, and that's, that's actually yeah, sixty like million is, is is a solid number to say that, that you've got adoption. You know, you just name it because uh, nine percent is twenty nine million, which uh, give us twenty percent, which give us exactly approximately sixty million twenty percent, which just home and that's only looking at the U.S., which you know project. That yes, we're talking only about the United States of America, yeah. but we all know that as soon as the technology started to be adapted here, it just automatically spread around all around the world. And again, to connect that to uh, part of the idea with Bitcoin is banking the unbanked, you know, essentially onboarding a whole. Uh, sector of people who have not really had access to uh, this type of financial support before. So 
that is um, a different market, I guess, that is still to be tapped, that has a value to add to the network, to the system, to the technology as a whole. So That's maybe more, much more important from the socioeconomic point of view rather than from financial. But I mean that, I agree with that. the financial power are concentrated now roughly between three parts of the world, which is America, yeah. which is basically China and neighboring countries, and which is Europe. That's where practically 90% of all the financial things happen. But in terms of adoption, yes, of course, most of the world and now outside of this f- f- banking, regulatory, paramedical system, and they will benefit tremendously from that. But in order to offer us expecting price rise, that's, that's not just people who do, the, who, who, do, yeah. who do that, right? So, so before we shift on, uh, Koshi, did you have any input on this? Uh, no. This is actually probably the best place for me to have input. <laughs> this is totally out of my game, but like just to make it, like I think I've been like when you guys are talking, right? I've been thinking about like, and this may be talked of countless amount of times, but you guys talking about the tipping point and stuff. I'm thinking, okay, maybe that might be true. Let's hypothetically put 60 million as the tipping point where people are comfortable with it, right? Mm-hmm. But how do you get to the 60 million, right? That's the real question. Um, before before a consumer like me, right, pretend I'm not a millionaire, I can't just put like $50,000 into Bitcoin. You're talking yeah. about adoption, so the middle-class American or... Utilization. Utilization, adoption. yeah. Um, so I think about clarity, right? Right now, there's not much clarity about what... Even if they understand technically high-level business use case, what cryptocurrency is and stuff... How are you going to use it, or like what the government regulations and stuff? That's a constant thing that comes up yeah. every podcast is yeah. issues with regulations. So yeah. yeah, we talk a lot about that. <laughs> but uh, do you really need to know how it works in order to be able to buy that? I how it works is in how does the transaction not internal technical but like high level high level like okay you're sending bitcoin is this legal how do i file my taxes sending something well i think i think in order to buy into something you have to find some value in it yeah regardless so some people not everyone derive value from understanding how it works yeah but not everyone that's a whole different debate well think about the goal right nobody actually using well Gold has a lot of usage. You yeah. can vary, but people who invest in gold, they don't invest in it as a, in a use case. <laughs> yeah. right? sure. It's just store of value for them. There are not so many gold, but I think there are like, uh, do you know the percentages, uh, how many people in the States own gold? I just can't remember, but it's uh, certainly yeah. higher than the number of people who own Bitcoin. Oh, sure. Yeah. So maybe that's one of the comparisons which we can make. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the entire precious precious uh, metals market. I don't know if the numbers. Yeah, by the way, one of the first one of the first Bitcoin adapters were the so-called gold bags. You know, <laughs> bags how we call them. <laughs> People who are actually buying gold just because it's gold and yeah. then even paying in shops, mm-hmm. which they cannot do by gold. <laughs> so I want to ask you. So you made like an analogy, a comparison between gold and Bitcoin, which I think is completely valid, right? If you look from high level. Um, so usually when stocks go down or when there's like a recession, mini recession, what you see is gold, silver, and prices go instantly up. Do you think that cryptocurrency will be treated the same way? 
Well, that's a very good question because many people have suggestion that Bitcoin is a perfect opportunity, perfect investment because it's uh, asynchronical, so it's not correlated with most of the markets, mm -hmm. which I actually don't really believe, but it might be at some point of in time when there are going they're going to be, to be less integrated economy than we used to have mm -hmm. now because most of the economy happens in the dollar zone mm -hmm. we use dollars and it's pretty much depends on the political federal reserve system yeah. and that makes every assets in the world correlated mm -hmm. and that's basically also one of the problems with gold because yeah. people uh that's one of the arguments which many people own gold always makes that uh, there is a kind of superficial uh, mechanism mm. which doesn't allow gold to grow yeah. which is polite way to say that yeah. there are some forces yeah. whose interests are kind of behind curtain force you know yeah. who try to push gold price down will it happen in bitcoin i doubt that because it's difficult uh, I'm not sure I'm answering your question. No, by the way. you are. Um, yeah, so that's a very good topic, right? So, but like another point I had is like when I was talking to a lawyer in my old startup, right? He was actually a crypto lawyer and stuff, specializing in it. And he was talking about where he stopped believing crypto because around like four people own 70% Bitcoin. Yeah, that's, that's another, another very controversial topic. <laughs> so, yes. how is that really decentralized in a way? It's not. Yeah, so <laughs> that's the plain, plain answer. It's well, there is there is a statistic, and it's easy to find that it's about like uh, maybe uh, eighty percent of all the bitcoins are distributed between uh, for about five to ten percent of all the wallets. Mm -hmm. So that's how distribution looks like that. So it's certainly not a egalitarian system right mm -hmm. there. But uh, even if you think about this 10%, mm -hmm. that's not like a 10 guys, for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Because just each... So, for example, one of the most uh, uh, famous wallets, uh, he contains for about 200... Uh, sorry, 40,000 Bitcoins, which mm -hmm. for about 100 million right now. And the people actually monitoring that wallet. No. And uh, more or less, they understand that there is one person behind it and he not really doing much. Many much. Mm. So what I'm saying is that, yes, Bitcoin is a very specific currency. It's mm. not egalitarian, mm. but it is not so much manipulated okay. as many people think. Okay. Because uh, putting that one room, even two Bitcoin uh, maximalist, they will disagree about everything. <laughs> okay. That's a nature because why Bitcoin represents the de decentralization because mm -hmm. most of the people don't believe in that coordinating their efforts will serve their own goals and purposes long term. Mm -hmm. So ideologically, there's people, they are individualists. Okay. So that's, at least I think that kind of safeguard for, for us, at least on the short term, because maybe in the future they're going to be like a big conglomerate mm -hmm. owning Bitcoin, all of this, uh, like sons and other th uh, people who uh, inherit Bitcoins, they probably can put it in some kind of funds and from these funds they're going to be like more uh, possibility to control Bitcoin, not now. Well, I mean, the issue I think comes down to, it's not necessarily what they have done, it's the fact that you have they hold those that small group of you know whales holds the power to 
greatly affect the network. Right now, that's true. They don't necessarily do it at the moment, but it's in everyone's head. I think they do. So basically, uh, they speculate widely. So everybody knows. It's just like a common topic now through all of YouTube that there is this uh, bull traps every time when there is a huge yeah. spike in Bitcoin, like just recently, yeah. last day, it was this spike from uh, 5300 to pretty much 5600. Mm -hmm. yeah. Just from nowhere, from blue sky, and nobody knows why. <laughs> but everybody understands that a couple of whales may be starting to buy. Yeah. Well, that's the nature of the uh, emerging markets. It was the same when America started to uh, create their railroad system. You remember that? It was, but you don't remember <laughs> that? I do not remember <laughs> that. I mean, back in the day. <laughs> Excuse me, what I meant is, do you remember that from your education? <laughs> um, so there were maybe 100 different uh, railroad lines um, invested, and no more than a couple survived. Yeah. So, it's wide speculation, so maybe that's what we have to expect. I'm willing to say to Koshik that I don't know. That's the answer. <laughs> like, like it, it, a lot of it doesn't make sense, like Smith's <laughs> saying, you know, things just, it's volatile, goes up, down, you know. Uh, it's just, I can't say why. You know, the there, was a there was a time where I felt like we could see news articles and, and know that this is what's happened. <laughs> that's, but yeah, that's gone little. away. Like, yeah. China has pretty much been mute for the last few years on mm. are we banning it are we not banning it we used to see those yeah. market sways all the time and i haven't Lord. seen though i haven't paid attention to it much either that's maybe i'm just not looking mm. but uh this past week i was paying attention i have no idea why it went up to 56 and then and actually i think that the very positive trend in 2019 which everybody now realized that uh we have kind of see that all this community of cryptocurrency kind of really hold value so we, I'm not saying we're reaching bottom, but I'm saying like we kind of start to see the bottom. Like, a, you know, through this murky water, what's happening. I, of course, it's everything about psychology. So everything can, can go to zero, but yeah. psychology, it's what run economies. And now I see more and more people become like a more and more like a searcher. Okay, yeah, Bitcoin might be kind of fluctuating, but that's a thing. More yeah. or less. Yeah. Yeah. I would say well, my psychology lately has been like I've been spending more of it lately because I've just been like, eh, it's why down not? over the whatever, but but you know why, why not just spend some and, and usually I'm <laughs> very strange. used to be very tight gripped. <laughs> I'm not investing in other people's <laughs> companies anymore, but uh, you know I'll spend some here and there just because. Maybe that's the, the mentality to have right now. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> that's just mine. Five hundred ten years. But maybe that's everybody. Uh, that's what everybody has to start doing because we are just so much concentrated on that Bitcoin as the yeah. assets. We have to concentrate what we do with Bitcoin by the end of the day. And the things I'm spending on are like my own projects and things like that, and developers mm -hmm. and things like that. You know, I'm just been like, yes. you're, you're still investing. Bet, just bet, in bet on me. Direction. You know, you're like, investing yeah. in a different direction. Yeah. And I think that's where we should be, right? Yeah. So I think it's actually it's a good place to, to segue back into uh, the enterprise space. Yeah. There's a lot of yeah. investment going on over there, taking yeah. uh, traditionally you know earned money and putting it into the development of blockchain yeah. uh, technology. Um, so like just one of the most recent things that's happened that I'm sure we can talk about is uh, AWS, Amazon. Mm -hmm. 
just dropped there the blockchain as a service platform. Yeah. I was actually, I was going through our AWS yeah. um, used to host our blog and a couple other things. And I just popped up on the side, like next to EC2, just, yeah. oh, wow. <laughs> like, it's, it's actually yeah. here for me to, you know, to interact with. Yeah. Um, another, you know, there's been a couple others yeah. that have come out recently. Another is uh, Samsung has recently announced um, that they're, you know, a, both supporting the mm-hmm. Ethereum blockchain and looking to create a, a private version of it or a private uh, chain that interacts with the public Ethereum chain. Um, so trillions of dollars yeah. of money that is, you know, out here that is kind of starting to be looking at the technology and actually we're seeing implementations mm-hmm. actually come out. Yeah. So I just kind of wanted to like talk, talk a little bit about this, like this, this development, like it's no longer just speculation yeah. on the, the development side. It's here it is. What's going to happen? Yeah. What do you guys think? Um, so let me just start it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, cool. So the first thing you mentioned, AWS, right? They're pretty late to the game if you think about it, because Oracle has been been out. been out, right? IBM been out extremely long time, and then you have Microsoft, Azure. They're mm-hmm. they're part of the Ethereum Enterprise Alliance, mm-hmm. and then now they're supporting Hyperledger Fabric. Yeah. So if you compare, and this may be when we talked about earlier, um, this boss platform we call it blockchain as a service is more of like a i like to think about it as a underneath the subgroup of iaas if you guys know what that means infrastructure as a service okay right so it, traditionally um this is coming from enterprise background with traditional technology stacks um pretend you're running like some kind of tech application right you look at the stack of the application what are the undernight requirements um, so does this web server uses, you know, some kind of like system thing and stuff like that. The cloud services are thinking, how about we automate it? Right. Instead of like going inside a virtual machine, setting up yourself, traditionally there's other services for that, right? Why don't we just implement that business logic into blockchain? Hmm. So what that allows is huge, right? Um, if you guys think about when AWS really took off, right? I don't know if you guys know the story of AWS. AWS was really created by mistake, right? So a common story is Jeff Bezos is a very prudent, cheap person. Um, I forgot the CTO at that time. He They invested heavily into like on-premise uh, mainframe databases. So in the back in the day, when a startup was going into business, they would choose an office for the space, mm-hmm. right? Because the space is certain part of the office space where actually hold mainframes, mainframes. They don't care. Like that was a huge point, right? So that's what Amazon did too. They invested a lot because they predicted growth, right? They invested a lot. And then they realized we don't need that much stuff. So, and then there's a story like, how do we make money off it, right? We don't want to spend the dime. It's like, why do we service our space, our data connected to the world so startups who don't have to like invest a lot of time can go and connect to it. Hmm. That's the first service that came out in the cloud called a virtual machine, right? Yeah. Off-premise virtual machine. Yeah. So right now startups are connecting to some um, data center like in Europe. There may be in California, Silicon Valley or connecting to Alaska or something. So, and then slowly, slowly you have something called like infrastructure as a service where you're putting infrastructures on the cloud, instead of virtual machine, you're like, okay, I want a virtual machine, 
I'm my environment. I want this. I'm going to do a MERN stack, put all the MERN stuff inside it, mm-hmm. and I'm going to start developing in it, right? Um, so then you don't need system engineers, right? If it's serverless, you don't need system engineers. You don't need system admins. Makes it cheap, lean, and deliverable. Yeah. And this is huge, both in the enterprise space because companies are already in the cloud, right? Every almost every enterprise company is in the cloud unless government tells them you can't be in the cloud. <laughs> they need full secure. Uh, so what's that going to happen? It's going to reduce the cost of implementation. Mm-hmm. It's going to reduce the cost of technical complexity in adopting it. Um, and number two, it's going to help startups, especially well. Um, if you ask any startup founder early 2005, 2006, they're like, they love AWS, right? So Quora came from AWS. Quora yeah. could have been created because they don't have that much like funding or something without AWS or anything like that. So you, you're probably going to see a lot of startups who are using the boss services and stuff. And for enterprise, it's going to be less tech te- technical complexity. Number two, it's going to be um, easier to adopt yeah. in their pre-existing infrastructure. Yeah, and I think and that's actually a good point is uh, you talk about how AWS... Uh... Hey you, congratulations on making it this far into the podcast. We had a few technical issues with the audio from this point on, and we wanted to make it up to you. So go ahead and drop a comment on the YouTube video for this podcast and tell us what you think about blockchain in the enterprise space, and I will personally send you a DM with a discount code to one of our upcoming developer courses. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. What AWS enabled. Yeah. It's a slight difference in that I think uh, AWS people were finding a cheaper way to do some of the things they were already doing. Yeah. Right, but in this case, uh, with the advent of blockchain as a yeah. service, it's enabling people to do things that they couldn't do before. Yeah. Right, yeah. having to track down people to actually build out or even understand what specific uh, you know blockchain they want to integrate or yeah. what they want to utilize. <laughs> yeah, I just want to ask the question because uh, can you throw some number on top of that? So you're saying that. It, allows to reduce costs, uh, it allows to maybe attract more small business to um, the um, business kind of processes. So do you have some idea what projections might be? Yeah, talking from an enterprise base, um, I don't have exact number for a startup, yeah, right? Yeah. For enterprise, what usually happens is you have a company account or something like that, where pretend you are, pretend you are, um, you're using AWS and you're a big vendor or something, right? Um, you want to implement blockchain technology to solve your business use case. What usually happens is they sign up a yearly fee for the cloud service, like hundred thousand, two hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and by that fee you can use like the whole marketplace in the cloud, right? So it really depends B two B sales rather than like but infrastructure costs is something I do not have the numbers for but I do presume it's going to be lower than setting up your own guy dedicated a guy who you pay $100,000 per year just to set up something so what I'm trying to squeeze you for is basically the number between this state when there is no blockchain uh, enterprise solution for blockchain or cloud solution for blockchain and there is a cloud solution for blockchain and why it is profitable for uh, uh, Amazon or Samsung doing that thing. What is 
impressionable. So from profitability, um, I think, so analogy you can take a look at between cloud services, pretend you comparing Azure with AWS, right? Um, Or compare Azure, AWS, and then IBM Bluemix, whatever, right? So they sell the cloud as a marketplace. So they sell it like as a phone Mm. and the apps are pre-installed. The different the different okay. services services are, are, are apps the they're pre-installed right so they're not looking for profitability by single usage they're looking for profitability when they're wholesaling it so oh, okay. see, see. so uh, Amazon in this case it's almost exactly like I first saw it yeah. right is here are all of the different possible things yeah. that mm-hmm. my company yeah. would need to utilize yeah. it's all beautifully laid out it's all here it's all mm-hmm. extremely accessible versus me trying to set up my own storage yeah. and me trying to set yeah. up my own nodes yeah. everything all at once and when you think about it that way yeah it makes total sense that um all these cloud providers they're going to need to uh, have blockchain as a service they're going to need to be um eventually just as good at um at providing that service as they are as uh, you know Hosting or storage. Um, yeah, Jason, yeah, I think Jason doesn't think so. Well, no, I, I do think so. I think the part of it is the play, though. It's like the more apps they have, the more draw they've got to the platform, and they're just trying to sell their cloud stuff. It is at the end it, of the day, it, yeah. At, yeah, and you know, blockchain's a big buzzword, yeah. so and Amazon is late in the game on this. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, uh, Microsoft's been doing it with Azure with Ethereum for. A long time. Yeah, yeah. One of the first, you can just push the button, it fires your node up, and you're yeah. good to go. I mean, now some people don't might not want to pay for the full cloud just yeah. to have a node running, but uh, <laughs> you know, you're here there. I think it's something like where they also have features for pay as you go, pay only yeah. for the services yeah. you use. Yeah, and a lot of them go on that too. Uh, Microsoft yeah. does that. Yeah. yeah, just pay for use. Yeah, yeah. I think we just found is just pay for that. We just discovered another way the corporation will be serving us, small people, because as soon as they start to develop their own marketplaces, yeah. they have to push these marketplaces yeah. to consumers. A yeah. lot of advertisements, a lot of talks about the usability of blockchain for their small guys. Mm-hmm. So more people come to those platforms, more people are going to be using crypto. Yeah, a, so, way to us. So that's uh, one of the things that I was kind of thinking this is leading to is so now that all of the major players have blockchain as a service yeah. as one of their offerings, yeah. um, what do you think? What do you think these startups are going to uh, be coming in and utilizing that for? What, what do you think is going to be the primary thing? Like yeah. you've already seen some of the use cases, yeah. but where do you see the kind of initial yeah. enterprise adoption coming yeah. from? So, okay, so startups and enterprise are completely different, right? Um, there can be multiple startups. There can be enterprise startup where the creating some tool or product for the enterprise, or enterprise use acquisition case. or sales. Um, for a startup is maybe like changing the world or creating consumer products, mm-hmm. right? Um, so from the startup space, I'm not too familiar with like changing the world consumer product mm-hmm. space. Um, for the enterprise startups and enterprise sales. Or maybe to, to, to help uh, lead it a little bit better, uh, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, what do you think are the the pros, like okay. the, the, those those points that make someone, uh, whether they're from the startup realm yeah. or the enterprise yeah. realm, what are they most excited about now that they have an easier okay. access to blockchain? Yeah. So one of the challenging points is setting up your infrastructure in blockchain. Because number two, it's not when you're talking from high quality fabric. That's where my development experience comes from. 
when you're setting up Hyperledger Fabric, it's a completely new tool. Mm. There's no, usually enterprise have tools for everything. Like you have Splunk, you have, you know, Redis, there's enterprise version. There's tools to solve a problem. Yeah. When something's new, there's no tools, right? Um, so this is probably gonna be one of the first tools to set up your infrastructure. So before all this boss services, you had to go inside your VM, you had to set up your ports, you had to open your networks, you had to go talk to your second organization because it's decentralized. You had to go to company B and like, yo, set this up for me. Mm. Please coordination, set this up. And half the time it fails. Yeah. It's open source, right? It fails, right? Um, so what these companies are doing is they're taking accountability too, right? So if you're in a cloud, right? If you're using their service and it fails, you, you have support, <laughs> you have support. They have to solve your issues. Yeah. Um, so it makes really complexity less complex, right? And people love less complexity. I don't think it's fully addressed your question. Well, that's the, that's, that's the first part. Um, yeah. So they're reducing the complexity, they make it, say a startup has a certain budget, or a, yeah. any company has yeah. a certain budget that they can allocate to yeah. integrating this technology. If uh, they can, you know, lean on Amazon or lean on Oracle to yeah. provide miss most of the, the infrastructure behind it yeah. and, you know, keeping the tooling really straightforward, especially when it comes to um, having multiple companies in the consortium, yeah. say, uh, get involved on the same chain. Yeah. Um, I do see extreme value of that. But I guess so the, the deeper question I'm trying to get is um, why? Um, why are they trying to, why are they jumping onto it? The tooling is like a reason yeah. as to why maybe they choose one over another. Yeah. What is the direct benefit that For, more people will be able to realize? So if I allow to put it more kind of uh, yeah. from other perspective, yeah. think about the, what type of advertisement yeah. uh, Amazon makes make for people. What does Amazon say in this advertisement? Came to us, it's easy to do what? To open your restaurant blockchain, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so what, so what do you think? It's easy to deploy your network. That's true, but as no, no, so, so, said, so for instance, yeah. um, if we're looking at, we're talking about the, the benefits of blockchain yeah. to these companies. Yeah. So uh, you're going to be able to secure stuff better. You're going to be able to uh, mm -hmm. reduce oh, okay. trust. Mm -hmm. So we've, oh, some of the things we've already talked about, yeah. but what do you think are the top ones? Oh, for enterprises to adopt That are now accessible okay. because of this. So I think, oh, sorry, sorry, misunderstood. We're not talking about blockchain, we're just talking about blockchain for enterprise. We're talking through the the accessibility of Boss. Okay, we think okay. Be the, the greatest okay. uh, drivers so, of people so adopting it. I think I mentioned this before, like trust, right? Yep. Trust, um, accountability, huge. Everyone has accountability in businesses. And the third thing is basically, and this is going to sound a little bit marketability, right? You're creating you're creating some, like, you're going to market your product saying, you know, we're using the latest technology that you, it goes back to trust too, right? Yeah. We're creating trust for you and it goes accountability and stuff. So, so, so you say marketability. Yeah. So, um, is that saying that, um, when a company, you know, it goes out and talks to anyone, investors, consumers, um, saying that they're utilizing the latest technology, like in this case blockchain, is that a really valuable uh, thing uh, for them? Yeah, um, so let me go back to give a real life example, maybe this may solve. So, so 
I think everyone uses supply chain a lot in enterprise settings and that's a valid case, but let's move away from it, right? Let's talk about something very unique and I think it's gonna happen. Okay. Um, let's talk about load something about servers for a second. I think everyone probably heard this example or something. Um, so usually in a distributed system or something, there's actually a centralized server that redirects it to different servers to get their whatever they wanted to. For example is um, if you want to go to, if you search something in Google, google.com, what is the weather? Mm. Um, and if you search something else, um, employee IDs, right? Hypothetically, I just presume, people use the same search bar and stuff, right? There is going to be some internal mechanism that redirects your access control permissions, which means, oh, this guy's not an employee, he can't look at other employees and stuff. So. But there's going to be one one or two distributed servers doing that whole load, right? What if those one or two distributed servers get compromised, right? So it's a security issue right there, yeah. right? So it goes back to where blockchain was created, security, trust, and stuff. Um, when I say trust is very high level, right? Inside trust, you got different like different branches to it. Um, security, you need your infrastructure really secure. Um, Resilability, it can't go down. It will go down, right? It's natural. There's no such thing as ideal infrastructure in technology. It always goes down. Mm. If it goes down, how can we make it more reliable, right? And the third thing is adoptability, right? What we're what we're noticing is blockchain actually helps. Coming from open blockchain side, people might think, you know, we're changing traditional way of business. Mm. Coming from enterprise blockchain side, we're saying, okay, let's adopt this so we don't have to change everything. We just improve the current business processes. Yeah, that's a different, it's a slightly different approach. And one of the huge things that's gonna take off is actually, I presume it's gonna be something where government regulations dictate your business process, where it dictates more security. Let's just take a look at voting, right? Um, there is, if you look at, how you track, I'm not talking about America, I don't know how America votes or something, maybe electronic or something, but if you look outside of America, um, most countries use something called EVMs, electronic voting machines, right? Yeah, they do it in America as well, so it's different. Yeah. Depending on the legislation yeah. Uh, yeah. in the states. Yeah. In the case of Florida, states. when they have these machines and yeah. then spend time to recount machines yeah. Yeah. <laughs> during this famous election between Gore and yeah. So, so, so when I was going for EVMs and stuff, especially in developing nations and such, you're going to need some kind of trust mechanisms, right? I'm guessing if the government body is not corrupt, right? They actually want a transparent system, and they don't want everybody. They want to have something that's reliable as it talks about all the attributes. Yeah. At the same time, creates trust. So what you're saying that uh, Samsung or Amazon can actually propose to use yeah. their system for governments? Yeah. Especially if you look at, I think what's going to happen is EMRs. So what EMRs are electronic medical records. Mm, yeah. So right. Yeah. So what's going to happen is there's something called HIPAA, right? HIPAA is a regulatory body that governs the flow mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. like, medical medical records, or there's some criteria. If you look at blockchain, it's one of the most secure ways of holding data, right? Yeah. Transaction data. 
and I'm pretty sure. What do you mean by secure, right? Because uh, if you mean secure, that nobody see your information, that may be not the true. The way the way like nobody changing at, information. Sorry, that's another thing. So let me just rephrase this. The way of creating a deterministic yes system. That's correct. Right. Yes. Creating a deterministic system where something fails, right? It's not random. It's close to ideally it won't be random, right? Yeah. So. And HIPAA and other government agencies dictate that. And number two, let's take a look at finance, right? Or how you hold SSN numbers. Pretend you want to buy a quote for a mortgage. You put your SSN credit history and stuff. Um, government dictates how you hold the data. Well, sometimes it's yeah. not government, maybe it's another yeah. regulatory board, but you're right. Yeah, some you're kind right. of regulatory board. They, and you can solve blockchain. We're noticing a lot of stuff where you can use some kind of deterministic principles to mm -hmm. create, to so improve the business flow. Which, by the way, may be very, very detrimental because, uh, as you know, these standards for keeping data changing constantly. Yeah. And if you have your yeah. personal information, your medical record kept in one step in the blockchain, yeah. which cannot be changed, then government suddenly changing in 10 years to another standard, what kind of problem you have? Yeah. Right. So you have kind of um, delete immutable, not deleted records or stuff in blockchain, which kind of undermine all the idea of that one. So not, not. Look at GDPR and yeah. the right to be forgotten. Yeah. Um, because which, of that, by the way, yes, Ethereum tried to make that solve that problem. Like, yeah. Um. Just and this is where a different side of enterprise blockchain comes in place. Um. So, in high quality work, is widely considered as the perfect enterprise blockchain, right? Um, we, we, say, we say something called modularity, mm -hmm. right? What that basically means is, let's look at consensus, right? You don't like using one consensus, there's going to be a marketplace that you can plug mm -hmm. it in. Mm -hmm. You don't like it how they're making deterministic principles or something, hashing, put another one in. You don't like the K, um, identity management system, put another one in. Um, having said that, creating a modularized architecture for a framework there are some pros and cons, right? The pro is it's very unique. It can be customizable. The con is it's not going to be that, how would you say, it, how fundamentally blockchain as one that is cannot be changed, mm. right? Yeah. And that actually raises another uh, issue which you mentioned about that permission net and permissionless blockchain. I mean, you mentioned it before we start that conversation. So are there going to be the possible, okay, so the question, yeah. what do you think the most likely future, so most of the uh, enterprise blockchain, they have permission let, permission net, I'm sorry, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So you have to pass for all this QIC, yeah. maybe more complicated procedure, not to be authorized, permitted, or uh, you can be deleted from that, uh, restricted from that platform. Yeah. But, uh, as many people predict, they're going to be kind of merge between yeah. permissionless and permissionless. Do you think it's true? I think hybrid is the future, right? Mm -hmm. Hybrid is exactly mm -hmm. the future. Mm -hmm. um, but creating a hybrid blockchain is going to take some time. So um, when you say a hybrid blockchain, you mean someone permission and permissionless created from scratch or integrating with existing blockchains? Um, See, that's something where technically where it's like, I don't know the direction where it's going, right? There are some products out there where we're mentioning earlier before the show started where there's some, you can say the tools, right? I don't know if that's correct terminology where you connect two stuff together. And I don't know if 
the connections and one of the most complex nature of any because blockchain in itself is completely new and complex making a, a bridge <laughs> connecting one complex city to another complex city is extremely hard right interoperability is one of the yeah. selling points yeah. of certain uh, yeah. chains right yeah. yes. so and if it's going to be reliable like if you look at the blockchain space right now and if you honestly put it out there right regardless of open enterprise blockchain right is the technology absolutely there where it's 100% 365 days a year? And that's perfectly all right, right? If you look at it, it's growing right now. But maybe in three to five years, it will be there, right? Um, as in any technology, I think we're looking at it's the last 20% of the timeline where massive growth happens. Mm. Yeah, your rule applies there. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense. The last twenty percent. Like a hyperbolic growth. Yeah, yeah. It's exponential. Um, technology does not go linearly. If you look at any technology products, it does not go linearly. It's exponential, right? Yeah. And what we're hoping with is blockchain. We are in the twenty percent right now. And so, no, no, hope the best. The, the yeah. idealistic thing where maybe 20%, right? Oh, but, you need 20% out of 100. So yeah. There's 60 to go before. You mean like... Uh, no, 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 no. I think, I honestly think like maybe we're 40% work. Because blockchain is not, it's been there since the 1970s. Like there's some concepts the with blockchain. Concepts. The concept has been growing and stuff, right? Um, where What happened with Bitcoin is there's a... Good use cases. The first major use, use case right? came out from it, and then what happened with other stuff is companies money drives growth, regardless. So what I'm hoping is, we are in the twenty percent of exponential start of exponential growth. Well, yeah, I think we are still under ten percent, but it's uh, no, only no, strengthening your the, point. The, the the well. And I'm phrasing this from like uh, Karthik. I, I think he's probably one of your friends. Uh, I think he's an instructor or professor at Stanford. Mm -hmm. And he made this analogy where, if you look at, if you look at AI and ML, right? Um, when I say twenty percent, I and he mentioned this one. Uh, if you, if Jason wants to make some commentary, please please join our conversation. You're sitting there like I'm not sure. Yeah, come on. We'll get to my opinion in a bit. Yeah. Well, well, no, I've seen your opinion on your face. I've already seen your opinion. Please express it to us. Well, uh, yeah, I like AI. I, I, was, I liked that uh, presentation that uh, he gave. Oh, so... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, like, yeah. Okay. The, you don't like the 80-20% rule? No, I like, I like that too. Okay. I like that too. Okay. Uh, my question has always been, when it comes to enterprise uh, blockchain, is I feel like with regulations in the United States in particular, um, which I know the best of because I'm American, yeah. but, uh, you know, there's a mentality on like, hey, if you're not doing anything wrong, then why can't the government have all your information? But yet, as a, and, and companies have to report to the government too and give out information, but I feel like publicly, there's, there's, a, there's a standard, you know, that, that the public gets this public and the enterprises get this other complete different treatment. Um, yeah. So I think at the end of the day, I think the future is not hybrid. I think the future will be open because I think people that are doing the open projects are a better benefit to society. And I think they will always have an advantage over any of the enterprise stuff at the end of the day. It's just a matter of when regulation comes in and says, hey, companies, you have to make everything public. And yeah. when that happens, <laughs> then they're not hiding behind walls anymore. But when will that that's my opinion. But I, but I, I don't want to just mean like, I, but yeah, when will that happen? And I, I, I really do 
big hyper but I'm on table let's but I do like I do like what hyperledger is doing and I, I do like the projects I like I like what's going on there you know um, businesses aren't just going to open up and just open up their books for all their competitors it's not going to happen unless everybody has to do it at the same time and and even then they'll try not to so uh, they will definitely try not to right so. Oh, yeah, I love I'm that. not trying to just change the topic or take over. And, and, no, no, no. That's what was up. But you wanted, to, you wanted to know what I was saying. That's always been my question for this, is, is what's going to happen first? And at the end of the day, I feel like the public gets regulated before the companies do. So yeah. it's yeah, probably yeah. how it'll end up. But I don't like that that's how it goes. But So I want, I want the others to respond to that. But quickly, I want you to finish with... In your in your mind, like how long do you think it would take for yeah. something like that to realistically mm -hmm. happen? Mm -hmm. Realistically happen. I mean, it would. It goes kind of goes back to the, our first topic today with you know this this global Good financial topic. system that Vitalik was talking about. You know, if if we're really gonna go for that, people are gonna have to be open to be <laughs> people. If he's talking about an open system, yes, and people running companies as well. Right. No, I actually. Kind I of, think I think I think the younger more. people that are coming up. Are fine with it being open. Yeah. It's these. It's this older generation of, of that that's deep seated in multinational companies. They're not going to share that info. Yeah. They're not going to do it. You know, it, is their jobs there? As they're adopting you know, blockchain, and I, I feel like uh, yeah, there's lots of jobs there. But at the end of the day, I think that if these companies are adopting a public thing that was public first. Yeah. It's not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so they're moving away automatically by taking blockchain. You know, yeah. so how far is that going to go? It, I don't know. I'll have fun watching <laughs> and talking about it each week. Yeah. But, uh, well, it, it just the thought of the generations actually is a really good one. Right. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, it's with the cloud too. It's like it's like we're talking businesses are now functions as a service. You know, yeah, like yeah, everything, yeah. everything in the cloud, they don't yeah. care sharing all the information. Yeah. Who cares? You know, it's just the business logic that's important at the end of the day. Yeah. And you know, even with like. Uh, we got Amazon talking, and uh, you know, and how late they are to this game. But <laughs> the step is not just infrastructure as a service; it's it's back end as a service of your company. You know, and the way, and as we get into back end and functions, yeah. more of that's opened up. And yeah, there's going to be people scared of sharing their stuff. But if you're a good business and you're not doing anything wrong, and your numbers equal what you're saying in yeah. your your quarterly earnings statement, yeah. It's a new global financial system. <laughs> You've got one. Actually, the more we think about that, the more it's become exciting because it's absolutely made that clear. So we have practically two opposing worlds. World yeah, yeah. And I appreciate yes, both. <laughs> the most important, the most fascinating to me personally is that we never in the history of, history of the uh, economy see the actually small guys like us yeah. being able to really compete with big corporations. Yeah. I mean, not competing on the level of consumers, but on the historical level, what's economical concept will be accepted by the whole society. I think that was where your point. Because I mean, the internet was supposed to do that, you know, it was supposed to level the playing field, and we saw that it didn't, because you had to have a computer in order to get in, so we cut out a whole group of people yeah. in society that weren't able to take part of the web. Yeah. These big organizations got entrenched, and now they control the web. I think Blockchain your point is supposed to be decentralized. You know? I believe your point goes deeper than that, because your point telling us that 
I don't really care. That's what you're saying. If I, if I imagine you do, I don't really. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, yeah. I don't really care what their central price guys are doing. I'm gonna be doing my stuff. Yeah. Well, that's me. You know. That's that. But there are millions of people like you. Millions, and they're gonna be looking at your guys and yeah. and saying, okay, I can do that better. And yeah. that's back to that point that probably you, enterprise uh, yeah. software developers, going to create this perfect repository of the personal information yeah. based on the government registers. Mm -hmm. But yeah. then, what happened? Government changed their opinion. But in the world of the privateers, mm -hmm. that's going to be the standard for maybe a much longer time. Yeah. Just because of this consensus we are able to reach. No, you see the point? No, I, definitely. I think capitalism. If, this is a whole concept of capitalism, right? Uh, consumer drives d demand, right? That's basically it. If you're talking about... Mm, unfortunately, it's not true anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, let's take a look at Uber, right? Uh, the consumer wanted Uber. So what did the government do? They adapted their policies around ride sharing and stuff. And some governments did not. Yeah, some, some airports. Some airports. So you're taking... Uh, from a really low-level concept where you're taking some airports are adopting, right? Why are they adapting? Because the consumers, the want passengers it. want it, right? Yeah. And especially one of the fundamental things we may as disagree on, or most people, we are still a republic, right? With the democracy underneath it. Mm. Um, we are not a mob rule, right? So if you look at the concept of democracy, it's basically mob rule. Majority wins. We are not majority yeah. wins at all. Um, having said that, we take majority votes a lot, right? That's how governments or administrations are created. So they will, the guys who are in charge will have to appease the guys who are voting for them. So having that regulations will change according to the consumer general public demand. Um, the only thing that may have a hard time is institutions, right? Because institutions are more powerful than individuals. Uh, individuals, right? But the only way, as Sweat said, or Jason said, the only way you can change institutions is unity between the consumer base. Or you have people. Plus, you're say the only real way we can change institutions that overcome beating and beating them in their own game. That's the way we change institutions usually. Yeah. Or this people, on the economic side of well, the, 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 the change, change opinion can, can ruin a business real quick. Yeah. yeah, I remember the time when we started to develop oral internet applications, and that was a that corporation actually had to follow that trend because at that time, uh, I wasn't there. And we were investing in these small enterprises who were able to produce uh, to kind of cut costs dramatically and sell these products just consumer directly to consumers through the websites. Yeah. At the same time, corporations at that time, they used like a telephone and calling their <laughs> preferred customers. <laughs> and then in a couple of years, corporations just pick up the trend and overcompete uh, most of the small enterprises as like medium business. And that's kind of going back and forth, but blockchain provides a unique opportunity to kind of cement that, to make yeah. it, to split that, right? Yeah. To make that one blockchain for, I don't know, decentralized, completely freedom-loading yeah. people, and another for you guys, who are more like a corporate, more security type of, kind of, I mean, but that's okay. Yeah.
And that's absolutely great, right? So um, I don't know if you have t- like I like to. And this is just maybe. I like to divert the attention of people from the me topics you taken. So please. We've actually covered some stuff um, that I wasn't expecting to, but I think is actually really, really yeah. valuable. I, I think this is going to be, and this may be, I'm going to answer a lot of questions with that. Yeah. I think this is a really good segue to where there are some misconceptions of enterprise blockchain. And let's dive into that now. Uh, now we're doing it at the other side. I, I think, okay, let's, so, let's talk a little bit of the, and this gets me really giddy, um, let's talk a little bit of history of the pirates of Silicon Valley who created technology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, like Anderson. Yeah. Anderson, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so yeah, uh, no, yeah. So let's talk about where initial stages you guys are going to be part of so probably Silicon Valley initial stages there was there was anti open source initially in enterprises right if you look at the famous history of Microsoft um, it was very assholeish <laughs> quite frankly it was assholeish to the uh, small guys right they would go in there cutthroat there's a famous story I forgot the company name where Linux was actually huge it was going to take off. Linux is taking off right now, right? No, it's actually taking off right now. It was there, it was almost functionally good back then as well. Um, if you look at any enterprise right now, they're not even touching Microsoft anymore, Microsoft servers on their VMs. But why did that happen a long time ago? Because there was ruthless mechanisms where they thought, if open source is not gonna make me money, then I don't I'm, not, I'm not gonna harness it. it. So having said that, let's segue into the current um, hyperledger framework, and I, when everyone talks about enterprise, they talk about hyperledger because that's the biggest one. Yeah. It's most adoptable, so it's most visible. As yeah, well. uh, yeah. So and it's really easy to use. Yeah, so it's, it's a nice product. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's a beautiful product, right? So if you think about it, let's think about it for a second. So Linux Foundation is basically the administrator, whatever you have, hyperledger foundation, right? Linux Foundation was responsible for a beautiful number of products, right? Yeah. Node.js, right? And let's hold the concept of Node.js, right? Node.js is a beautiful framework for um, server-side JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was open source. Linux Foundation relies on open source stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now you almost have every enterprise using open source Node.js. And you may be thinking about it, why did corporations, and they're actually actively collaborating on it, when I talk about enterprise, I'm talking about tech enterprises, yeah. like uh, like Facebook or you know Apple or whatever. Like they're collaborating and improving the product as a whole, um, but they're not getting money off it. So where did the thinking change? I think that you can resemble the thinking's changed when the new generation of thinking comes in, where it's more developer friendly. Um, it's more about relations, right? So if you think of the growth of Microsoft for a second, why is Microsoft the highest point it is right now in stock market? It's not because of the products they're releasing. I think uh, I agree with that. No, no, it, it's, it's, it's because of the consumer they're addressing. They're changed their whole thought process. Do you mean the way that they're addressing the consumer? No, the, the, before they used to never market towards. You're saying the actual market, yeah, yeah. people that. Yeah, if you look at it, Microsoft's always enterprise, you know, gritty, gritty. You go to like traditional, um, like IT company or whatever, IT department, any company, 
you have a Microsoft OS, Enterprise OS, regulations, PowerShell, you do whatever you want. Yeah. That was their whole game. Um, then they slowly started doing like something, the music player service, hardware and stuff. But if you look at the growth of Microsoft and stock, it's because of their targeted customer now. It's the little guys. Fundamental change. It's the little guys, the developers at hand. They're creating developer tools to enhance their product. Mm. Actually, I never think that I will say that, but I probably agree. I think I, I'm long-term Microsoft users, and I'm one of the haters of yeah. that company. But you're right. In the past, kind of maybe even five years, yeah. I stopped noticing that they drastically changed their approach. One hundred percent. I mean, too. I mean, IBM. Yeah. All their advertising yeah. is here's the developers. You know, yeah. making fun of yeah. their commercials were like the drawers in yeah. front of their face. You know, yeah. we have the developer finally. You know, sure, but uh, we're not quite showing the developer. Uh, um, you know, there's a change, and I do think it's generational too. I mean, it comes down to, okay, finally those communities that didn't have the web, right? Yeah. They didn't have computers. Now they get computers, but now they can't buy software. What can you get? Open source stuff. Yeah. I can get open source for free. I can train up on this, yeah. and then I go for a job later. Yeah. Hey, company, I know how you save you money for this tool. We got a free one that works. Yeah. You know, um, the companies have, and then it's the consumer, the employer, yeah. the, the people that you're trying to employ to develop stuff. It goes back to capitalism and that, but. The free tool is a free tool, you know. It almost sounds like the, the freemium model has, uh, has, you know, gone just from straight focus at consumers to a little bit further back to creators. Yeah, and I think it's a cycle, and it's going to get. I think open source is, you know, I mean, ever, all of the guys are making open source tools and making things better. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's just making it easier for you know students and people that don't have the money to be able to get in and just use the brain, get a computer, yeah. use your brain. Sorry, I'm taking again. <laughs> uh, you know, learn some stuff that's free that's out there and available and. I think from a sinister side also, it's about controlling. That too. Who commits? <laughs> Who commits is a big yeah. deal. No, just in time to start it. Now you... I'm listening, yes. Yeah, Tell me fair, more about no, no. sinister side. Of okay, so the sinister... Or, I guess we're in California, we're all socialists, we're all liberals, right? <laughs> so, we're in Silicon Valley, we're all socialist liberals, but we also hate the big tech companies at the same time. Um, so it's about control, right? Um, I think people predict the future is going to be controlled by the developers. I think every tech company already admitted that. Those will be the last jobs to go. Yeah. So the future. So what software do you actually subconsciously make the developer want, right? How do you make them easily accessible for the developer? Because they'll be more comfortable with it, using it, and then later on they can control the flow of the product, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's basically like how you have 20, 10 gigs free on Google Drive. Why would they do that? Because they, it's not about, maybe, it may, may not even be about collecting the data they have in their product. I think that's illegal anyway, but it's about giving them in your hole, right? It's, it's, it's a sales strategy. It's control the controller. <laughs> yeah, test it out. See if you like it. Yeah. You know what your pricing model it's, is, but these free credits, yeah, it's, you know? I it's just that little that little uh, thing that annoys you, like, oh, yeah. I wish I had a few more gigs, mm -hmm. or, oh, I wish you didn't have this, yeah. uh, you know, signed by thing at the end yeah. of the email that you can't remove yeah. unless you pay for it. So <laughs> it's, people are thinking software right now, especially VCs right now, they're changing analogy. Software is becoming a utility. Right? Software eating the world as a utility. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's basically like how you think about gas, mm -hmm. PG&E. That's software right now. 
software as a service is basically a utility, right? And if you make a lot of people use your utility, then it's you have controlling factor over a lot of stuff in the long run. That's actually a good point. So you look at um, you know, the, the growth of social media as a whole, yeah. right? The, the idea of you know, having a lot of followers, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's social currency, right? Yeah. That same thing, you look at uh, a lot of companies. Uh, what's a, a good example? I think uh, Venmo. Venmo had millions of yeah. users, was making zero money yeah. off any of them, but they were kept getting funding. And this goes for a lot of tech companies yeah. because they have adoption. They have, yeah. they have a lot of people, yeah. people as the, the, the key value yeah. metric here, using their software, using their product. Yeah. So I guess that same model is kind of being applied to the idea of open source, yeah. the idea of we want you to have full access yeah. you know, like to all of these cool things that we're creating, but at the end of the day, you're still kind of sort of in our, our, our mental pocket. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a very long-term psychological yeah. kind of but, plot. But that's, that's how investors are looking at this stuff, right? Yeah, that's, that's true. true. That's true, actually, because, well, if you think about all of this automation or robot, robotic revolution, everything is based on software. All robots will be yeah. running software. Exactly. And all even all these... Um, you know, futuristic pharmaceutical products going to be uh, implemented or found by software, by machine learning yeah. again at software. So that maybe that's very sinister yeah. to me actually. That <laughs> if those companies really have something like in even in, in, in the back of their minds when they support all this free uh, software or like a decentralized software, that's scary. Yeah. So that's definitely. Now let's continue, right? on where Hyperledger comes in play. So we address a factor where, why it's, why other Linux Foundation is open source, right? So traditionally, Linux Foundation creates partnerships with big enterprises and they help develop it, right? So it can be from a little guy in his basement developing a product. Usually, it's most of the time, guys are paying six-figure by big corporations helping develop the open source software. Yeah. That's how Hyperledger fabric and Hyperledger frameworks and tools were created. Um, let's specify the Hyperledger fabric for a second. That's production ready. Everyone's using it a lot. Yep. Um, so Hyperledger fabric was heavily invested by IBM, right? So investing means they invest a lot of resources, things, right? And then you have Alibaba comes in play. Hmm. You have Oracle coming in play. You have all these other companies. Traditionally, they're competitors. They're doing this. They're selling. So you may be asking yourself, we go back to the same point. Okay, How, why would people invest millions of dollars when they're working together? And let's go talk about boss all of a sudden, right? So every boss service, right, in the cloud, or we'll just call it backend service. Backend service, specifically blockchain, okay? Or infrastructure service, specifically blockchain related. They all have Hyperledger fabric on it. Well, okay, that's great. Everyone else has Hyperledger Fabric. Let's go for competitive advantage. I think that's a question I asked earlier, right? What they're doing is they're using, they're leveraging the pre-existing fundamental open source development, and they're adding their proprietary software on top of it. For example, when I was working with Oracle earlier, right? Yeah. Um, I was playing Oracle Blockchain Service. They instead of um, I don't want to be really technical, there's something called LevelDB and CouchDB installed inside the Hyperledger Fabric Framework where you can store your data. Mm -hmm. Hyperledger, I mean, Oracle is really known for their database, right? They're like, screw this, we have a better database, let's just plug it in 
and like just say, hey, come use my boss service. You have access to the respected Oracle database. Um, so that's where the economy is driving in, right? Leveraging open source technology, putting proprietary software on it. On top of it. So, so it, it. it's like, I think that makes a lot of sense. It's, um, it's almost like a large group of companies who are yeah. typically competing maybe in different yeah. market sectors. Um, part of the motivator to uh, focus on building open source technology that everyone can use is there is a baseline yeah. of uh, foundational bit of software yeah. or whatever it is in this case that they all want to utilize. Yeah. And the question becomes, maybe if you're looking just at a financial perspective, yeah. Why not work together to build yeah. a baseline that we're all going to use? Like, why would I just spend yeah. money to build this out myself yeah. when we all kind of agree yeah. that this baseline needs to be created? And there yeah. could be even parts that directly compete with your yeah. your, uh, your offering. But yeah. if you keep your uh, you know value offering proprietary and it's built in that it can be plugged into yeah. the the baseline open source software, then you could potentially have saved millions of dollars in development costs yeah. of creating something by yourself, running it all by yourself, as opposed to having the industry as a whole supporting it together. Yeah, and that's wonderful. I mean, like, like, when, when I'm talking about enterprise blockchain, there's a lot of, in the sector, right? In the blockchain space where morality comes in play, right? Um, I'm not gonna comment on the morality of a few groups, huge companies dictating the fundamentals or mm. something. Um, I don't want to put my opinion out there, right? If you think of from if you think of found it from a foundational development cycle from business, this is beautiful. Yeah, it's be before they're competing against each other. Now they're cooperating. The competition is really into this few features that are on there. Um, they're like, okay, whatever, and let's talk about a little bit more. Uh, the second thing I want to uh, talk about is. We talked about backend as a service, right? We primarily talked about infrastructure as a service. Let's talk about backend as a service. So there's something called QLDB um, that just, I don't think it came out yet. You can do a preview version, a beta version. It's completely different from Amazon managed blockchain, which basically is an infrastructure as a service. Um, so what that is, is basically a database ledger that's encrypted and that's immutable. That's all it does. Straightforward. Straightforward. Um, I don't even know if the decentralization is there, to be quite frank. Mm -hmm. So you may be thinking about it, you know, is that fundamentally blockchain, right? Um, but does it matter? Like, what if a company just wants a really concrete, immutable ledger that's easy to, like, put on your technical stack. Um, and when we say enterprise blockchain, slowly going to come into, there's going to be questions about the definition of blockchain. Yeah, that comes up all the time. Yeah, so, and I think coming from enterprise side where, you know, you have to sell your soul to work, especially in Silicon Valley, to, um, to work for the big, because everyone has a dream in Silicon Valley, beat the big guy. That's basically it, right? Mm. Or get acquired by the big yeah, guy. Exactly, right? But at the same time you have to look at the products that are being created, right? Um, you have to respect where where implementation is gonna take place. I think 
there's two different roles I've been reading a lot of stuff. When I talk to you guys about open blockchain, it's about changing. It's about, sorry, it's about changing the status quo for the better. When you're talking about me, I'm like, it's changing the business process for the better. Yeah, well, it's, um, I mean, to cycle back on what we're talking about, yeah. open source and multiple companies coming together, um, in a small way, or maybe not such a small way, um, if you look at, uh, take, you know, Bitcoin, Ethereum, the market that it serves is consumers as a whole, just yeah. people, right? Um, but when you look at uh, the creation of Hyperledger, yeah. as an example, multiple large companies, you know, working together, that's almost the same idea. It's like a little bit of some form of decentralization coming into play to uh, create something by working together and yeah. all engaging in this network. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Hyperledger implementation as a whole. Uh, the best example is typically a consortium, right? Mm -hmm. A section of people, entities, organizations, whatever it is, um, working in some form of decentralized fashion. Um, in a way that they weren't really able to beforehand. Exactly. So, um, yeah, that was, I don't know what my point was, but... <laughs> I was going to explain, you know, like, really, enterprises are going to use the tool that makes the most sense. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, uh, traditional blockchains are not the answer to, to, yeah. their, to, to, their to many things. There's very specific things it does it very well, and lots of things it doesn't do very efficient. Yeah. Um, and because we probably already come to some conclusion now, right? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, like, my question to all of us, uh, that what we think the future kind of present us now with an enterprise going, like, their own way, us decentralized freaks going another way, or are we going to merge, or are we going to stay in parallel? So can we reach some conclusion? That was a really good question. Well, I'll uh, I'll put in my my two cents. Uh, Satoshis. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, Bitcoins. Yes. Back in yeah. <laughs> um, I think the way enterprise is going right now, what we see, um, again, companies are looking for what is going to work best in their business. Yeah. Um, these solutions are being developed. They right now have some benefits over existing technologies. Yes. On top of that, enterprises right now have typically more money uh, from different sources of income than just uh, straight funding yeah. from uh, from investors or you know Bitcoin prices rising. Yeah. So they have these uh, sustainability, and they also have an incentive to continue to iterate on this technology. Yeah. Keep it in the R&D until uh, something really works, something takes off. Yeah. Um, and utilize these open source uh, technologies that have been co-developed that they can find their niche on, that they can, you know. Uh, I'm sure all of the different blockchain as a service uh, services will have different, uh, will be better in different things, right? Um, and so if these companies can find those unique, uh, unique selling points, they will drive the adoption of that form of blockchain or decentralized technology. Um, on the other hand, I think the existing you know, people who are more focused on open blockchains are going to continue to try and innovate, create entirely new ways of doing things. At some point, I do think there will be a, a convergence. 
Right. But that's gonna be like a I, long. Yeah, I think that's for... far down the line. So you want them maybe parallel universe type of guy. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I think there will be a parallel bits of growth with bits of interoperability mm-hmm. uh, developed. Just any uh, any blockchain as a service, I'm sure they're focused on having some form of interoperability so yeah. that they can not get left behind. Mm-hmm. Right. If if they need to. Uh, if someone creates some, something new and innovative, they don't want to get left behind and not be able to take someone's existing yeah. uh, solution and then add some form of additional uh, like value to it. Um, mm. So that's kind of how I see it going. I could be completely wrong. I could be 100% right. Um, <laughs> I hope all, like if you combine all our four opinions, you're going to be right. <laughs> so what's your opinion? Uh, my opinion is that I believe a lot of these enterprises, even though some of it is open source, they're very much patent, patenting yeah. everything that they're doing. So I don't think the convergence is going to be uh, quite there mm. unless there's enterprising people that just want to, you know. <laughs> the cool thing about blockchain is that it doesn't, doesn't listen to regulation so well sometimes if you don't want to. If you want to take somebody's patent and make it and release it in an immutable way for the rest of the world, you can now sue everyone. Um, And just give yourself a nice uh, pseudonym or name yourself Satoshi (laughs) Jr. and uh, release it. You you can do that. Um, Satoshi V2. But I... I think that, that those types of things will have that will happen before anything converges. It's, it's going to be enterprising people that are just going to try to stay anonymous and just throw it out there and see what happens. So are you a parallel universe? Or uh, no, no, no. I think for sure they're going to be... Uh, both are going to be going at the same time. Uh-huh, yeah. For foreseeable future for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, unless some huge government regulation comes yeah. through, it makes sense that everybody yeah. needs to go one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. So what's your opinion? Um, yeah, so coming from, I'm going to try and keep it impartial, but um, my honest opinion right now is from one to five years, right? I'm talking about, that's all I can actually Short say. term. Short term, like yeah. um, maybe spectrum through two, long term. I do think what happened with open blockchain, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's more consumer product based. Um, when the traditional blockchain, because that's more has a why value to creating a product, right? Mm-hmm. There's a purpose to creating a product. Um, but I think there's been recent success stories in enterprise where, I mean, you may not even, you may even disagree if it's a real blockchain, right? Maybe the marketing tool just put blockchain on the title. That's going to be adopted earlier and it more widely fashion, and it's going to be awkward for me saying this because enterprises are really slow to adopt. Um, but they are going to be adopted if they save accountability money. And accountability is one of the crucial points of any business. If that saves it, it may even just be a immutable database, right? People call it blockchain. We may disagree with them, right? And they just matter if they implement it. If the only thing that they value in yeah. this case is having accountability yeah. where they didn't have it before. Yeah. However, I do think there's going to be some disruption, right? Mm. I think in one to five years, it's going to be traditional boring development. We call enterprise blockchain boring blockchain because um, it doesn't have the whole social effect to it, right? But after five years, you're going to see like EOS or some other where it's actually feasible to create a scalable product where you have a million users on an application, right? The technology is going to adopt, and the education 
the education is equally as important as the technology, right? Yeah. Educating the populace what decentralization actually means, right? I, I think there's a quote where where one of the reasons Arab Spring actually happened in the Middle East or some revolutions happened was... Because of Twitter? <laughs> no, that's a very good point. It's Twitter, right? But behind the scenes of that, revolution actually and disruption actually happens if there are more youth, if there are more young thinking, right? And that's statistically proven. If you look at every revolution, that comes from young people, right? New way of thinking, right? Um, that's obviously going to happen. I think right now is one of the first times in the world where you look at all the emerging countries um, and even America is central, right? Young people are driving right now because you have the older population maybe not being that influential or even dying. So you're going to see growth driven by young minds, new innovative minds. And maybe after five, seven years, there's going to be one disruption, right? Maybe falling by two disruptions, right? So correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So what you're saying is that going to be major enterprise yeah. universe, and all of the rest going to be joining this little by little. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I, joining maybe depends, right? I, yeah. Joining or one of the enterprises are going to get disrupted. Their way of thinking. I think the way of thinking is definitely going to get disrupted. So you think you think it would be like they'd be forced to change or forced to adapt definitely enterprises. Are going to be like, they don't yeah. change unless. Unless they're forced to. Yeah, they're forced to, right? <laughs> so it's going to be better, is it going to be like one enterprise? I'm trying to interpret yeah, what yeah, you're saying. Yeah. Is it going to be like first maybe to parallel, but then enterprise is going to kind of levitate a little bit toward uh, the independent, decentralized universe, but they're going to be merging more on an enterprise. Yeah, if there's going to be conversion... So make an enterprise better. Yeah, if there's going to be convert. Sorry, yeah. Um, no, so that's okay. If there's going to be conversions, it's going to be an enterprise just literally using the technology completely. Mm -hmm. They're going to they're going to make their own proprietary permission technology, maybe redundant or second priority, just to survive, right? If you look at Walmart versus Amazon, is a big you, like when internet first came out. I'm pretty sure e-commerce was one of the big use cases that was really popular. There's so many popular e-commerce websites in mm -hmm. the dot-com bubble that went up that crashed, right? And you look at the last survivor wins. Basically, that's why Amazon was the last survivor wins, and he survived, and people got educated, right? It's about trust, right? We all have consumer trust, right? They believed in the system, and then suddenly went up. So maybe something like that will happen in the open blockchain, where people are competing for the same space, there's going to be last survival happens. This is basically an analogy between internet when it first came out and blockchain. Well, it's probably my turn. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> sorry, guys, I have to disrupt your yeah. rosy pictures about two universes. Yeah. So what I see um, is gonna be like that. Oh, so right. what I'm thinking? Like yes. Yeah. Moreover, I think it's gonna be complete disruption of two universes, two patches of universes. So it means <laughs> yeah. that it's not going to be one uh, enterprise movement. It's going to be different enterprise blockchain in different countries. Mm. We're going to have at the same period of time because not only of the technology, but because of the social and political movements. Yeah. We have this. We will have these segmentations in blockchain as well as in the outside world and the technology. Whether we do like it or not, it probably going to happen. And probably at some period of time, we might even have 
separated islands of blockchain idealists living somewhere on outskirts and just don't care about anybody else because they already created their, their like a perfect society they always dream about and they're going to be people who are completely centralized are happy with their enterprise solution and there will be other maybe thousands of different patches whether we came together I don't know. I don't really see how we can do that in the future because of just uh, how that all come to the end of the 20th century. We already tried, right? Mm -hmm. We already tried to make the one standard in technologies. didn't work. Only in politics and society didn't work. Now we come that to the point we cannot reach it even on a monetary level. We cannot have a one currency, right? We yeah. cannot have anything one. And that probably will sustain itself. So, so that's my opinion. Yeah, so, I, okay, so this may be like really out of the blue, right? Uh, so I, I do have to disagree in some aspects, right? Sure. If, if, you, if you look at, and this may, be, this may be quite controversial, but if you look at the internet, I think that if you take a look at the internet, internet is an enterprise tool for networking services like Comcast, right? And there is a governing body for the internet. It's, extremely centralized. No, that's not true. I'm saying you why, because you're forgetting that there is already Chinese internet, and it's completely out, practically all the no, no, no. separate, and there are other countries which are following the steps of China. I, I, I do believe there is a DNS naming no. service. Interest. Well, that's yeah, right there's now. Some what, protocols. There's some protocols that's widely used, right? Yeah, okay, I, I, I have to correct myself, you're, you're right, right now there is a centralized point, I'm sorry yeah. that was my mistake, so, but my point is that that's only for the short period of time, already many governments in the world start to think to have their own DNS service, and I can name it for example Russia, Russia already want to implement their own DNS service, and they already accept, kind of made some changes on legislatively, I'm sure China going the same way. Many other countries wanna, you know, kind of what happening. I'm not, I, I, I disagree with this, but I'm saying that that's what, that's what fun. So, so internet, it was a good attempt from you yeah. to kind of... Uh, I think, I think uh, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, on Koshik's side here a little bit, <laughs> I'm agree with Koshik. The enterprise, the enterprise blockchain guy. Oh, but anyways, uh, <laughs> you just your credit to the whole open blockchain. <laughs> there, there it is. I don't know, but uh, you know, blockchain is very much protocol based too. So uh, I think that there there will be some type of protocols, whatever this protocol is, um, that can go across all of it and then some way. Interoperability. Yeah. Yes. I, I also agree with you guys. I think interoperability will always be in the, these protocol creators' minds. Right. If without that, you are isolating yourself from who knows how much benefit or value by interacting with other uh, communities. But don't forget that interoperability doesn't prevent us to live in different universes. Absolutely not. It's just like a sending our ambassadors to different. It depends universes. on how granular you're looking at things. Well, that's true. Yeah. That's basically always <laughs> the question of definitions. So, by the end of the day, we probably not do too much disagreeing with each other. Yeah. Right? Just it's like just a question of perspective. Different perspectives in yeah. the same issue. So, I, so, so closing statement. Like, I think when we're talking about the growth and stuff, I think. There's going to be a little bit more. I like to think of the hype as fog, right? The fog is going to clear mm -hmm. when 
people start realizing about change. Change usually happens when people hurt them, right? Hurt themselves, right? You don't think what you're doing is right. You think you're doing is right if it's benefiting you. But when, when it's hurting you, then you think, oh my God, did I do the right thing, right? You look back at your history, you look at the new way of thinking. I think that's gonna happen, and we talked about this earlier, when the recession hits, how deep the recession will be. Because there is going to be some kind of crash. That's almost guaranteed. That's opening another kind of floor. Yeah. Be careful. So, he just starts a closing no, statement. No, 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 we've got no, for two no, days. No, no, no. That's, that's my conclusion. I think we're going to get a clearer answer where blockchain is headed to after the recession. And on that bombshell, <laughs> <laughs> let us know in the comments what you think about what uh, the recession that is supposedly coming is going to bring. And uh, just from my perspective, I agree with you on that one. And let us know what other topics you want us to discuss, by the way. Yeah, I mean, here, it was just uh, to close. Thank you very much uh, for coming out and uh, giving your opinions and your um, your perspective on this uh, stuff. Honestly, this has been one of the, the most eye-opening podcasts that we've done because we're touching on a subject from two different very strong perspectives. I almost think of it from the past, or the past leading up to the present, and the present leading up to the future. Two different ways of looking at things. Mm. Um, and at the end of the day, we're all living in the present, so yeah. <laughs> all we can do is take actions yeah. and lead forward. So there's, there's no better way than to have these types of discussions and really understand and think about what each person who's involved in this is going to do moving forward and how it's mm. going to affect everyone. Definitely. Um, so yeah, with that, um, any closing statements? Let's see. At the uh, at the den, we got some stuff coming up. We have we've actually so we partnered with uh, Ethereum Classic Labs. Uh, you know, we work with everyone, yeah. literally, <laughs> um, which is part of why I love being in the space. Uh, so we partnered with them. We're doing a a um, workshop, a hands-on workshop, uh, so you can come in and learn how to interact with smart contracts, uh, whether you're a beginner, whether you're a developer. I believe that's on the 15th of May up at F Classic Labs. Uh, you can find out more information about that uh, on our website. Just go to www.theden.io. Um, we also have our upcoming classes. Uh, UC Irvine is coming up. It's probably too late for you to sign up at this point, but um, Keep your eyes peeled for the next ones. Uh, we're starting, so we're running in Santa Clara and in San Francisco with Starfish, uh, Starfish Mission and Hacker Dojo. Those classes begin at the beginning of June. So if you're interested in learning more about Ethereum or learning from Koshik uh, on the Hyperledger side of things, uh, we actually want people to be uh, become fully well-rounded blockchain developers. So um, there are discounts and uh, incentives for you to take our entire uh, our entire course from Ethereum all the way through Hyperledger and data structure so you can actually get a job. <laughs> um, so those begin in June. Uh, again, more information can be found at the den.io. Um, if you like this podcast, please hit that subscribe button, whether you're on YouTube, whether you're on Anchor or uh, any of the podcasting services. Subscribe, comment down below, um, and just let us know what you think. Uh, we want to be as engaged as possible with the community. Um, and we want to make sure that we're not only bringing the information that you guys want, but that uh, your thoughts are heard. Um, so you can also join us at, uh, on Telegram at Nexus, t.me slash Nexus. Uh, any other closing statements? Well, thank you for being with us this wonderful two hours. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. Uh, <laughs> we did it 
again, man. <laughs> we certainly will. Yes, we're supposed to be the quickest podcast. <laughs> Under an hour, let's get it done. <laughs> and uh, you are welcome to ask your additional questions on uh, my uh, Telegram group asks it about crypto, and uh, of course uh, join decentralized nexus network for us a Telegram group. And again, I hope you will be with us next time. Yeah. And I just want to thank Koshi for coming up. Oh, talking. Thank you. Thanks guys, just to put like shameless plug, so I do work for the Den and we are trying to, we are starting a EBC, so that stands for Enterprise Blockchain Computing. Um, we're gonna have one of the first major panels with all the enterprise. Yes, I forgot. Yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's the whole point of enterprise. <laughs> so we are probably gonna have, we are gonna have the first major, major panel where we have different guys coming from Oracle, IBM, um, other boss services, and they're going to be talking about their future, their vision, and the problems and you know the optimism they have for blockchain as a whole, right? So it's going to be wildly interesting, and um, more information to come. Yeah, so that one uh, that'll most likely be at Ethereum Plastic Labs as well, May thirty first. Uh, it's a Friday. Uh, there'll be pizza. Um, we might even, you know, get something else than pizza because I know a lot of people are tired of it. <laughs> um, that'll be a ton of fun. We're gonna dive a lot deeper into a lot of these things directly from the, the directors, the people who are um, in charge of making these projects happen. Um, so yeah, um, with that, thank you very much again for watching. And thank you. We'll catch you next time.